last uh, lesson, our last uh, Bible study lesson in Ephesians, brought to us by Mr. Curtis Whiteley. Well, good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here back after our Holy Day season that we just got done with. Uh, Days of Unleavened Bread, great, great year. Uh, a lot of wonderful things, that, uh, a wonderful time I think that everyone had here. We had our Super Sabbath weekend to start it off that first weekend. Uh, and even though they're over, we're still in the process of something that's it, it's connected to those Days of Unleavened Bread that count to Pentecost, right? So I just did the mental math in my head, and I think that we're on day 15 or 14. 14, day 14 uh, for the Count of Pentecost. And so, uh, as everyone knows, uh, before this, the, the Super Sabbath weekend, the Days of Unleavened Bread, we began a study uh, on Ephesians, uh, N.T. Wright Bible study that we started. Uh, and we took a little break. And today, we are going to complete that study. We're looking at session or uh, section number 11 on page of your book, if you have it, Starts on page 54. And so we're going to be looking at Ephesians, the 6th chapter. We're going to go through verses 10 through 18. Uh, probably going to cut this study just a little short, uh, uh, just because we want to make sure we have adequate time for our next speaker, Mr. Jeff Henderson here, that's, that's with us from California. We're happy to, to see him and his wife here visiting us here in Tulsa. Uh, but as we do... I'd like someone to volunteer, if you would, on page 54 to read that beginning narrative. So can I get a volunteer? Uh, start us off here. Mr. Martin Garvey. For some reason, almost whenever I write about passages dealing with spiritual warfare, I run into problems. One time, a workman outside the house drove a nail through a main electricity cable and I lost half an hour's writing on the word processor. Sometimes domestic crises suddenly arise and distract me. Today the computer jammed completely just when I was about to begin writing. I have come to accept this as normal and to be grateful that this is all that has happened so far. I don't claim that this of itself makes my work anything special but I have noticed over the years that the topic of spiritual warfare is itself the subject of spiritual warfare. It is as though certain hidden forces would rather we didn't talk about it or that we swept it under the carpet. As C.S. Lewis says in the introduction to his famous screw tape letters, the general public prefers either to ignore the forces of evil altogether or to take an unhealthy interest in everything demonic, which can be just as bad in the long run. Thank you, Mark. And so for our first question, this opening question, it's kind of a personal one. Because we're asked to describe a time when you were engaged in some kind of spiritual battle and how you handled it. Would anybody like to maybe talk a little bit about this? I mean, it's, it's very personal, right? I mean, my spiritual battles are going to be different than your spiritual battles. Mr. Steele? I actually have written down here, <clears throat> I'm not sure when I have not been in some sort of spiritual battle. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it just 
seems to be that case that we move from one battle to the next. And maybe some are not quite so strenuous as, as others. But if I had to pick one, you know, here recently, of course, uh, having a, a, a change in, in employment is, you know, presents itself as a spiritual battle. Uh, it's easy to go down self-doubt, easy to, to kind of fear about financial uh, outcomes, things of that nature. And so that's been a little bit of a, a spiritual battle because God owns everything, and what am I worried about? You know, the, the logical understanding that God is always provided and will always provide, uh, but then still the enemy is trying to get me to fear, doubt, and, and, and worry about the outcome. Thank you, absolutely. And I would have to agree with that, right? I mean, there's, there's definitely certain points in our life that we can identify that are out of the ordinary. And we know that they were very troubling. They were very uh, difficult. Uh, and uh, they, they, they possibly caused us to doubt, you know, have some, uh, you know, some, some faith issues. But I would have to agree with Matt that, you know, it's funny how... Uh, you know, the, the, the Bible in general, you know, we have these little glimpses, right, where, like, you have the physical realm, and then there's, like, these little windows, just very few of them, a little bit in Daniel, some in Second Kings with Elijah, where you kind of get a glimpse of the spiritual reality behind the scenes that we don't see. And so all of that is, at all times is working at play. And it's interesting, this narrative that N.T. Wright brings us, he kind of quotes, or not, doesn't quote, but kind of alludes to the famous books, uh, the, screw, the book, uh, Screw Tape Letters from C.S. Lewis, which kind of is a, is, a, is a book that talks about, you know, spiritual warfare in, in a very different way than maybe Hollywood has depicted it, or even, you know, from the Renaissance period, whenever you had all the paintings, and you get these, you know, you get these images of, like, monsters, and they're trying to come after you, and things like that. But the Screw Tape Letters, it's subtleties. It's things like just nudging you to maybe think about something that maybe to distract you uh, or to influence you to look at something in a certain way that might throw you off. It's not some huge, big, like overbearing, you know, I'm going to make you do this. But it's rather all of these things that we go through in life, there are demonic forces. And we never know how those demonic forces work. I don't think they work quite like we think they do because we think in terms of the physical, right? We think in terms of, of, uh, of the physical world that we live in and the images that we see from our culture and that they tell us, hey, this is how things are and, and, and all that big you know, bravada type stuff that you see maybe in movies or books or different pieces of literature. But it's interesting how it's possible that the demonic forces just try to maybe just nudge you a little here and a little there to get you distracted off track just a little bit so you don't continue to grow in Christ. And so does anybody else want to describe a time when you were maybe possibly engaged in some kind of spiritual battle and how you handled it? One of the ways that I, I this question I kind of went back and forth whenever I was thinking about this question because I wanted to provide a personal example in case no one wanted to chime in on that because it is very personal. We might not all want to talk about some of the things that we went through, but whenever I was first baptized was in 2004. Uh, and I was in college, 
And, you know, I got really involved, uh, you know, just personally interested in theology and the history of religion. And I came across the arguments for, you know, the resurrection of Jesus. And so there was this, uh, and I wouldn't call this necessarily like a faith crisis, but it was concerning and it was something that it was difficult for me to, to just not think about. But there was this thing called the Talpia tomb. Maybe you've heard of it before. The Talpia tomb was, I think, discovered in like 1981 or something like that. But it was a, there, was this, there was this tomb found and had all these ossuaries in it. And one of them had the name of like, you know, Joshua, son of Mary, or something like that. Well, in 2007, I believe, James Cameron, the famous director of the Titanic, he like helped produce a documentary where they actually tried to claim that this was the tomb, the, the tomb of Jesus. But here's the kicker. The tomb of Jesus with an ossuary with Jesus' bones in it. And so all, you know, Hollywood, they just flock on these things. They start writing books about it. Funny thing is, most or almost all secular scholars that are atheists, they don't even believe in Jesus, they actually disregarded it. But Hollywood, you know, our culture, they're going to take that and run. You know, James is basically, James uh, Cameron is actually, I think he was quoted as saying something like that he is, you know, to, uh, I don't, I, something along the lines of that he is, you know, proven Christianity wrong or something like that. But it kind of got me uh, concerned because we all know that the basis of Christianity is that Jesus did not stay in the tomb, but he rose from the dead. And so I was young in the faith, and here I am looking at all these different you know, scholars and trying to interpret what they're saying, archaeologists and things like that. And so I wouldn't say I had a, a crisis in faith, but there definitely was part of me that thought, man, you know, maybe this is something I, I should look into. And... It was actually through that that I actually started studying the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I started studying it from different angles, not just from, you know, the typical angles of, well, we have the evidence and things like that, uh, like actual, you know, the, the primary evidence, uh, which is, you know, some people point to, to, towards, you know, that there is never been anything found that, you know, that proved that, that there really was an empty tomb, and s scholars actually attest to that, that that the only historical explanation is that this, this body wasn't there anymore. Now, scholars don't necessarily, uh, uh, when I say scholars, like, you know, secular scholars, they don't say Jesus rose from the dead. They say something happened to his body. We don't know what it is. They don't want to, you know, concede that, well, he rose from the dead. They don't think like that. So it was kind of a spiritual battle for me because, you know, here I am going along. Everything's good. It was just like an assumption, right? Jesus rose from the dead. Like, nobody disagreed with that. You know, I wasn't real privy to all the different arguments against it. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian community or a community where you really didn't have people that, you know, uh, said things negative about the idea of God or the Bible. But I became more and more aware of some of those things. And so me, being somewhat of an intellectual in, in matters like this, I started to look into this. And then... The way I dealt with it was really just looking into it and, and praying and going back towards, you know, what really calmed me the most was just, just remembering that transformation that I had inside and how that transformation, how authentic that was. Now, 
<laughs> I'm not here to say that, you know, all of a sudden I was some perfect individual or anything like that, but just knowing that transformation that happened within me and just knowing that that was not human power. That was not a natural power, but that was a supernatural power. That feeling that you, you get when you know that you have God's Spirit coming into you. So that's just a personal example that I could think of, and as Matt would allude to, I think all of us would agree that we're constantly under some type of spiritual warfare or battle. So can I get a volunteer to read our first section of scriptures, verses 10 through 17 of Ephesians, the sixth chapter? Can I get a volunteer reader? Brittany? 10 to 17? Yes. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Thank you. So we have this question that's related to Ephesians, this first, first question that's related to this reading. N.T. Wright says on question one, what we have in this passage and what I believe is required again and again as Christians face the daily and yearly battle for the kingdom is a sober, realistic assessment both of the struggle we are engaged in and of the weapons at our disposal. Here's this question. What strength do we have for this battle. What strength do we have for this battle? Mr. Barton? We have the Lord and the power of His might. That's all we have to stand on and that's all we need to stand on. Absolutely. It seems that Paul may be implying that we, we have the ability as Christians to tap into God's strength. And we, we know from the scriptures we're mere humans. We don't, we don't have the strength you know, to face demonic forces, the spiritual forces that are much more powerful than we are. But Paul is telling us here that we have this ability to tap into God's strength. We are asked to be strong, which this Greek word is, I'm not really good at pronouncing these words, but it's indi manu, and it means to summon up vigor, put forth energy. Anybody else want to add, maybe add to this? Reggie? It's worth noting that all of the weapons in this listing are defensive weapons except for the sword itself. Um, you've got the, uh, a defensive helmet, a defensive breastplate, a defensive 
Uh, all of these are one, but the only one we have that is an offensive weapon is something that we have no, no control over. It is the, the Word of God itself, the spiritual Word itself. Uh, it presumes, of course, that we're always facing forward, that we're not turning our backs and run, because there's no, no protection on the backside. That's a good point. That's a good point. And, and may I add, and I was going to get to this, uh, that this armor that's being described all of these individuals that were reading Paul's letter, they would know that he's describing what you would typically see on a Roman soldier. I found an interesting uh, little section in the Zondervan uh, Illustrated Bible Commentary, looking at the backgrounds. It'll illustrate a background commentary. Uh, and this is the quote from it. It says, The people of this area, that is Ephesus, are well aware of spiritual power, but they have been accustomed to receiving it from the wrong means, through helper spirits, incantations, rituals, formulas, and calling on their gods and goddesses. God's desire to strengthen us, or his people, is through a dynamic relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's interesting that these people living in Ephesus, and probably all over the Roman Greco-Roman world, they, they were used to this idea of like summoning you know, power from spirits and from different forces. And so he is basically saying that this God, the true God of all of the universe, is how you get your strength. It's not through some formula or things like that, but it's through his spirit living in you and through you that you are able to have this power. And as Reggie talked about, it's not so you can go out and defeat, you know, it's not, a, it's not necessarily that you're offensive, but it's because you're going to be getting a lot of attacks coming towards you. Does anybody want to add to this before we move on? Mr. Steele? I have it in my, my notes as well. You, you looked at the Greek word for um, strong, <clears throat> but then looking at the Greek word for might, uh, it, to me it almost implies force. So it isn't just kind of, at the very beginning of this, we do, of course, have these elements that are defensive. We have these, armor is defensive by nature. But he never designed us to just be defensive. He's giving us force, you know, that outward power and strength that we can push against the enemy. Um, so it's, it, I sometimes fall into the, the wrong thinking of thinking, well, when I get attacked, then I've got my defensive armor, and, and then I respond. Um, but in really, in, as Christians, and I think that ties into one of the other pieces, which is your feet uh, shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace, is to be ready to move forward um, and, and not just sta stationary. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. It's, it's an absolutely good point. We see this, you know, stand, you know, um, this word stand. You know, being able to stand, not to be, you know, knocked over many times in this passage. Uh, and, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the, the exodus, you know, whenever the children of Israel, they're leaving, uh, they're, they're leaving Egypt. And God says, stand and watch the power of God. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But his implication was not just stand there forever. He's, he is implying continue to go, continue to move forward. I've sent you out of here Stop being dismayed at this army that's behind you. Did you not see what I was able to do? And so I think that it's, 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 it's kind of unrelated, but it's kind of similar in, in the sense of he wants us to continue to move forward. So 
Yeah, when I was listening to you guys talk about warfare, the first thing that came to my mind was my mind. Um, when Matt mentioned that we're all going through spiritual warfare all the time, I'm thinking I'm going through a journey right now with my wife, and there's things that have been going on through that journey, but the whole time it's been I continue to have to be thinking on the right thing. And the spiritual warfare is going on in my mind constantly to think on the wrong things. Sure. You know, and that's where the Word of God, like Reggie was saying, the Word of God, which is the, the sword, it's got to be coming out of my mouth. I can't just be thinking the thoughts. There's a, there's a place where I've got to be saying these thoughts out loud, and that is my weapon against not just, I mean, I, I know the spiritual forces are listening, but really I've got to be hearing myself say, things that will keep me going forward so that I don't fall into the traps of the enemy which are everywhere so sure go ahead Sean one thing I want to add is when um, Keith was just saying about thoughts and such coming in your head sometimes it's almost like you got to say Satan get out of my head leave me alone like this random thought will come in there and there's times where sometimes you even think it's your own thought but just like even just yelling, get out of my head, leave us alone, and asking for God's help. Absolutely. I'm going to skip question two, because I think we kind of answered it. Uh, can I get someone to read the narrative that's on page 55, right below question two? Volunteers. Sometimes the attack will take a frontal form of actual authorities and towns and cities who try to prevent Christians from spreading the message. Sometimes it will take the more oblique form of persuading Christians to invest time and energy in irrelevant side issues or to become fascinated by distorted teaching. Sometimes it will be simply the age-old temptations of money, sex, and power. But in each case, what individuals and the whole church must do is first to recognize that attacks are coming second to learn how to put on the complete armor which god offers and third to stand firm and undismayed thank you so question three asks to win the battles god has provided a set of armor for us in verses 13 through 17 identify the six pieces of armor and specific in a specific way we might use each today and so I can just kind of list through the specific si the specific types of armor that's presented to us number one is our belt our belt of truth or you know, gird your waist with truth second the breastplate breastplate of righteousness third shotting our feet you know with uh, the gospel of peace the gospel that is fourth is the shield of faith fifth is the helmet of salvation and of course, sixth is the one offensive weapon that's presented to us, the sword of the spirit. And there might be a seventh weapon, which we'll get into in just a few minutes. But identify the six pieces of armor in a specific way we might use each today. Would anybody like to chime in and talk a little bit about one of these pieces of armor and how we can use that in the spiritual battle? I do have some notes, but I want to give everyone an opportunity to maybe give us your perspective. Yes, Mr. Hope. Yeah, thank you. 
I didn't have any of that written down here, but here a few weeks ago when I was going through this, I got to thinking about this particular one, the, the, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. And I uh, got to thinking, into the analogy of different types of shoes for different occasions. You know, cowboys like to wear cowboy boots with a big heel on it. Uh, basketball players like, you know, generally high top, you know, uh, low skid shoes. In uh, wrestling, if you, I don't know if you had it back in my day when we had wrestling, I know you had wrestling too. But the wrestlers had a different type of shoe too. It, it looked like a tennis shoe, but it, it wasn't wide at the bottom. It was very narrow, and you, somebody get a hold of your feet, you could slip out of it. And uh, same way with track. You know, track you usually had some metal spikes on the on the the front part of it, not the heel. Uh, football clip. Any on and on and on. Golf and all that. So my uh, comparison was when we. Uh, have the opportunity to discuss the gospel with someone we don't always come with the same uh, same direction on it some people may have uh, a complete uh, history of uh, either agnostic or maybe atheism and you would come to them in a different way than you would somebody that's grown up in a church and have the gospel but anyway it, uh, I, I should have taken the time to written all that down, but I didn't. But, there, sure. but uh, we handle different people in the world and our relatives even, uh, depending on what the situation is. Thank you. I agree. Sean, then Reggie. Uh, something that got me thinking about is I'm going airsoft shooting for the first time tomorrow with Samuel. So I actually called the place and I asked him, so I'm going to be getting shot at. <laughs> with these airsoft bullets, what do I need to do to prepare myself? And they said, well, you'll probably want to wear a hoodie to protect your neck for sure, because getting shot in the neck is going to hurt. And I got to thinking maybe just tennis shoes wouldn't be a good idea, because if I get shot in the, the shoes. So it's good to think about having all of the armor pieces on. I mean, in the physical, I'm going to be getting bombarded by people shooting at me and such. So in the physical, I mean, just thinking of the spiritual, we've got to make sure we have all the pieces of armor on at all time from those fiery darts hitting us. Absolutely. Reggie? All of these weapons require forethought. They're not something you put on at the last minute. You know, you've got to have preparation for uh, the, uh, the, the gospel of peace. You've got to have to know it. You have to have the shield of faith. It's got to be developed over time. You've got to have um, the helmet of salvation. That's something that comes before. All of these require preparation and forethought, not something you can do at the last minute. Mr. Still? So I always uh, find, find this passage interesting because I think, um, I think Paul gets his language from uh, Isaiah 59. Um, you know, in verse uh, 17, talking about God, and he says he, uh, because there was no justice, there was no you know, man to stand in the gap, as it were, so he does it himself, and he says, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. But, but then it changes, and it's interesting um, for us to, to recognize this difference. We have some similarities in the armor that God puts on, but this is where it changes, because it says he, he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. And, but for us, 
uh, as Dave, Mr. Hope pointed out, we are to be have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And it's, it's an interesting challenge, I think, for Christians, and has been in the past, to remember that we are peace ambassadors, and we are not here to condemn and judge. That, that as Paul said, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. There's a day, there's a time that God is going to wrestle with spiritual forces and fr flesh and blood. Our job is to be peaceful towards flesh and blood and to, and to then wrestle with the spiritual forces. <clears throat> Absolutely. As God says, you know, as Paul writes, you know, it, it, vengeance is mine. You know, God, it belongs to God, not ours. You know, it's not our, our job. Absolutely. Anybody else would like to chime in on this? There's definitely a lot of, you know, historical things that we could look at. And I have a lot of notes, and I don't want to go through them all. Uh, but every one of these pieces of armor had a relevance to the style of fighting that they would be engaged in. You know, the, the, the gird your, you know, your waist with, you know, the, the belt of truth. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. You know, ancient soldiers, they fought hand-to-hand -hand combat. They didn't wear you know, pants like we do and shirts like we do, but they had loose cloth, right? And so if you're going out and you're trying to run and you're trying to, you know, engage in some sort of hand-to-hand -hand combat, you're going to be tripping over, you know, that cloth. And so that's why, uh, you know, we, we see that they would gird up their loins. They would gird up that extra cloth. And so First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16 says, gird up the loins of your mind. And see, that's what we, I think, in the spiritual realm, we have a lot of sometimes loose, loose cloth spiritually, that can kind of get in our way and trip us up. And so I just wrote down, you know, some biblical reasons why truth is so important in this uh, is because through it we understand accurately things of God, the truth of God. Through truth, we are sanctified, we're set apart. Through truth, it's required to be able to truly worship God. We know God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And truth gives us the ability to distinguish what is false and counterfeit. And so every single one of these, and I'm not going to go through all of them just because of the sake of time, but all of them have a purpose. And as Matthew said, you can go back to Isaiah. There's actually a chart I found that had uh, the comparisons to some of this language. Obviously, it's, it's Paul's using language of his day with Roman soldiers and their type of uh, battle uh, shields and their sword and their uh, you know obviously their helmet and, and using that armor as an example but he's also going back to Isaiah and so I almost brought that chart with me today but for the sake of time I didn't uh, that he uses a lot of the language from Isaiah when it comes to this question four I'm going to go ahead and move on in what ways is the sword of the spirit which is the word of God an offensive weapon in contrast to the other defensive weapons Garvey? Yeah, I, I saw an interesting thing here in my um, study Bible about this, and I'm going to read that real quick. Um, the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon in the believer's armor. This weapon is not necessarily the Bible as a whole, but the specific word that needs to be spoken in a specific situation. To have the precise word ready, a person must know the Bible intimately. End quote. And I think what this means is like 
what Matt was saying in the sense of how we have to be peaceful, but we also need to be, uh, as the saying always go, says, uh, always be ready with an answer. And to defend our side of the, of the point of view or to defend the truth, we do need to know the Bible intimately and be ready to uh, answer those people who do have questions about our specific church or about our beliefs because um, I've been asked those things in the past um, and I'm sure we will always be ready or we need to be ready because we do stand out uh, amongst other Christian believers. Thank you. Anybody else? When we keep talking about this offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, it's interesting. Uh, Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 12, we've read this probably so many different times, and you've probably personally read it. For the, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And it's interesting that this word, word, <laughs> the actual English word that we read on the pages of our Bible, that's W-O-R-D, is actually not the Greek word logos. Like, you know, a lot of times we see that the word that's used in Greek is logos, which can mean like the written word and things like that. It's actually the word rhema, or rima, which refers to the utterance of God, the actual utterance of God, the speaking of of God. And so Jesus, when we look at his little spiritual battle with, with, with Satan in the temptation, we see that the only thing that he did was use Scripture right back at Satan. That's the weapon that he used. And he quoted Scripture to Satan. The only offensive weapon that he used against Satan was God's Word. And we have to remember that he, not, that he didn't just quote it, though, he applied them by refusing to succumb to Satan's temptation. So we can't just know them and be able to utter them, but we have to actually, if we're going to use this weapon, this sword of the Spirit, it's knowing and applying. It's application in our life. We've got to remember, for example, Joshua, when he was taken over for Moses, he was commissioned not to forget God's word, as he took over and he took the children of Israel into the promised land. Don't forget to do God's word. Turn neither to the right nor to the left. Question five. Which piece of armor is difficult for you to utilize and why? Which piece of armor is difficult for you to utilize and why? I think for me... Personally, and I'm speaking only for myself, sometimes I feel like the, the, the breastplate of righteousness is a difficult one to use. Because I can look at my life and I can, every day, you know, we, we just had the Days of Unleavened Bread a few weeks ago, and, and we, we remind ourselves of, you know, how important it is to discern, our, you know, to discern the Lord's body, to, to, to reflect on, you know, how we're doing. And I think it's, it's so easy to just, you know, we, we, go, we go about our lives. And that's, that's why it's so important for me and personally. And I'm so thankful to God that we have a yearly renewal of that covenant relationship that we made with, with, with our Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. But I just look at my life so often, you know, 
man, you know, I, I don't measure up. You know, I, I either, you know, I, I fell this way or fell that way. And, and it's like that in different phases of your life, right? You know, sometimes it's like that when you're, you know, single and there's different temptations and things like that. And then you get married uh, and there's other temptations and you have children. And if you're like me, sometimes you struggle to maybe uh, do the right thing all the time or, or, or you look back on maybe how you handle a situation. Maybe uh, anger got in the way or, uh, you know, you, you didn't do something out of love. You did something just out of uh, anger and, 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 and because you're upset that they're, they're maybe look, making you look bad or it's more of a, you know, a, it's more uh, of a personal thing between you and your child. You're, 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 you're correcting them not because you're trying to look for the betterment of them, but because it's a, maybe a selfishness. I want you to act this way because this is what's going to make me look good and, and like we're this perfect family and this perfect little unit. So there's many different aspects of our life where I feel like you know, righteousness is difficult. And thank God that he sent his son here, obviously, to die for every one of us. And that's the whole point. We're striving for that stature and nature of Jesus Christ, but we know we're not there. So with this, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up because we're already at 151. And I'm going to just encourage us. You have this handbook here to go ahead and read the rest of the questions. Questions 6 through 12. We only got through 5 in about 45 minutes. But there's so much to, 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 to learn from the book of Ephesians, from the epistle of Ephesians. Especially this last chapter. And we live in a volatile world. We live in a world that's not friendly always to the ways of God as we know uh, and we have to be ready and it's not always just the world you know because the, obviously the spiritual forces is going to use the world to its advantage but the spiritual forces are going to use ourselves or us against ourselves our temptations our inclinations this way or that way and so as we close this Bible study, I want us to encourage us to reflect on these words of Paul. Paul also mentions prayer at the end, the very end. And N.T. Wright kind of gets to how it's almost like a seventh weapon and how important prayer is and to be able to stand fast and stay vigilant, to stay alert. You know, I think that one of the biggest issues in our life is that sometimes we get lured to sleep, so to speak, Right? We, as Christians, we almost subconsciously think that like we're in peacetime, to use warfare terminology. You know, you have wartime and peacetime. And so sometimes we live our life as, as if it, we're in peacetime. But we know from the scriptures, from what Paul says, that we are not in peacetime. There's always a war going on. We always have to stay vigilant. We always have to stay alert. We have to put these principles into play. We have to not let life just lure us to sleep like everything's good. You wake up in the morning. You're bit, you know, we get to our tasks that we have to get to, whether it be work, whether it be children. We go through the day, busy, 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 busy. And all of a sudden, before you know it, guess what? It's time to go to sleep and do the same thing again. And it's so easy to forget things like prayer, things like practicing using the sword that we have, the word of God. So with this, I'd like us to reflect on those things and like to end on prayer. 
Eternal Father, we just would like to come to you thanking you so much for the armor that you have provided, for the strength that you provide us, which is your strength, your power, your might. Father, as we study your words here in the epistle of Ephesians and learn about the armor of God and read about prayer and read about the defenses that you give us as well as the offense, offensive weapon that you give us, which is your word. Father, help us to stay alert, to stay vigilant. Father, we know that we're humans and we don't understand the spiritual realm like you do, but you have given us some glimpse into the things that we're up against, the principalities, the spiritual warfare that goes on around us all the time, the spiritual forces that want to have dominion over our minds, over our hearts. Father, help us to lean in on you. Help us to tap into your power, Father, as these things come before us at all times. And we know even sometimes when we don't realize that we know that these spiritual powers are a force. Help us to be vigilant. Help us to be aware of that. Help us to stay in communion with you. We ask these things in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.